Isn't it always the way? You wait months for a major decision on tenant insolvency and three come along all at once. First, on Monday, we had Mr Justice Zaccaroli's decision on the challenge to the new look CVA that required many landlords to accept turnover rent. On Wednesday, hours before we recorded this podcast, Mr Justice Snowden handed down judgment in a similar challenge to Jim Group Virgin Active's restructuring plan. And we still await Mr Justice Zaccaroli's separate decision in relation to the Regis hairdressing CVA, which we know is imminent. The only solution was to invite Julie Gatenio, partner at CMS, to join us for a trilogy of On The Case podcasts. In this first episode, we will look in detail at New Look. Then next week, we will compare and contrast that decision with the one in Virgin Active and consider how things may be different with restructuring plans and the issues raised in that case. Then once we have the Regis judgment in our final part, we will update on that decision there and uh, hopefully draw all the threads together and ask the vital question, what next for retail landlords? Thank you, Julie, for agreeing to take on this Herculean task. It must be a very interesting time for real estate lawyers with expertise in this area. Yes, thanks, Jess. Absolutely. Um, as you say, um, just like buses, all, all <laughs> these major judgments coming coming down at once or um, being handed down at once. But uh, there we go. Uh, so starting with just a quick comment on the Virgin Active uh, decision um, to sanction the plans. I don't think that was uh, any surprise um, to, to, to most who'd um, listened in to the hearing. Given the purpose of Part 26A was to introduce a new rescue tool and that it was pushed through Parliament at speed last year as a result of the pandemic. Um, The decision, like New Look, turned on the facts of the case uh, and in particular the court finding that the conditions for cross-class cram down were satisfied and that the landlord ad hoc group were out of the money creditors and in those circumstances the court shouldn't refuse to sanction the plan. Now, the judgment makes a number of interesting findings which are going to be relevant to the future use of restructuring plans, particularly where, even after the judgment in New Look, this tool may well be frequently used in a post-pandemic world, whereas here um, the company couldn't use a CVA because the value of landlords' voting rights, which include arrears, may enable landlords to vote down a CVA, which won't apply in Part 26A, where they can rely on the um, cram down. But as you said, we'll look at Virgin uh, next week. So um, today we'll concentrate on the uh, decision in New Look. Yes, I very much look look forward uh, to, to getting uh, into detail on, on cross-class cram down with you next week. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so, but first, as you say, we'll, 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 we'll concentrate on New Look for now uh, to give you a bit more time to dissect that, that uh, extensive judgment this morning. So when it comes to New Look, can you give us a brief overview of how the New Look CVA works and and what it means for the landlords and and, and roughly how many are affected? Yes, well, the first thing I'd say is that the CVA was part of a wider restructuring by New Look and also involved an extension of terms of certain lenders and a scheme of arrangement under Part 26 of the Companies Act of some senior secured notes issued by another New Look group, which uh, group company, which was guaranteed by New Look. So the CVA was just one piece of the restructuring jigsaw. And the the CVA imposed compromises on the landlords to varying degrees by, as always, allocating properties to different categories, depending on the value that the company attributed to them. So the category A landlords, which were two landlords of a distribution centre considered critical to the business, were largely unimpaired apart Mm -hmm. from the switch to monthly rent. 
otherwise for the circa 450 landlords of categories B, C and D, the CVA compromised all arrears of rent, imposed monthly rent payment cycles and a switch to turnover rents at different percentages for categories B and D properties, depending on the category they were placed in, reduced rent and service charge to nil for category C properties, as well as imposing numerous other modifications to the leases, one of which was to include a right to terminate the lease at certain times, which was an important modification, as we'll see um, as we discuss the judgment. The CVA also compromised guarantees, historic dilapidation claims, former employees claims and creditors of the secured notes in respect of their unsecured debt. And finally, ordinary unsecured creditors comprising critical trade suppliers and employees maintained their claims in full and were unimpaired by the CVA. So in essence, the, the, the headline issue in this and, and other high profile CVA challenges is, is that landlords uh, or uh, a certain class of landlords take the hit for all of the creditors. And that's pretty much a fair summary, isn't it? Well, I, I think that's certainly what landlords feel about most <laughs> landlord only CVAs we've seen over recent years that have compromised lease liabilities and sometimes rating authorities while usually leaving other creditors unaffected. I think often the lack of information provided is an issue in landlords really seeing the full picture of any restructuring. And of course, it will always depend on how different creditors have been treated, what the reasons are for that different treatment of those creditors, and is it justified? And at least there is some helpful comments in this judgment that even if different treatment is objectively justified, that may not be sufficient. But as with any case, it will depend on the facts. In New Look, the secured lenders did receive differential treatment to the landlords, but on the basis of the security they held over New Look's assets, which the landlords wouldn't have had a share in if the company was placed in administration, that didn't amount to unfair prejudice. Uh, so you, you mentioned unfair prejudice, and that was obviously one of the, the grounds of challenge that was raised. So, so could you go into a little bit more detail on what the landlords were arguing and how Mr Justice Saccaroli dealt with each of those issues in turn? Sure. So um, the landlords raised three grounds of challenge, um, each of which then raised a number of arguments. Mm. And taking each of the ground and those arguments in turn, um, firstly, it was argued that the CVA proposal didn't constitute a composition or arrangement within the meaning of the legislation, because on a true analysis, it involves separate arrangements on different terms with different groups of creditors. And as I mentioned earlier, um, that's a reference to the sort of wider restructuring of which the CVA was just one piece. But on this, the judge held that a CVA can provide for groups of creditors to be treated differently. There is nothing inherently unfairly prejudicial in doing so, and that the arrangement would fall within the jurisdiction of the legislation. The landlords also argued under the jurisdiction challenge um, ground that there was insufficient give and take between New Look and the various creditors. And again, this was rejected, the judge finding there was sufficient give and take in an arrangement where creditors' contractual rights are compromised in return for rights, which are at least as good as what they would have received in the relevant vertical comparator. 
and the vertical comparator it's basically the relevant alternative that the company would be in if it was insolvent and here it was held to be administration. Um, the landlords were receiving a new termination right and this was distinct to its current right to forfeit as the landlord could exercise the right to terminate irrespective of whether the company paid the compromised rent. The fact certain creditors were paid in full for reasons of business continuity didn't mean the requirement for give and take wasn't satisfied and the effect of the wider restructuring which was taking place was relevant to this issue. And the final point raised under jurisdiction was that the new termination rights for New Look interfered with the landlord's property rights, which following Debenhams we know can't be done and it's void. Well, the judge rejected this argument on the basis the release of the tenant's obligations to pay rent, etc., don't amount to a surrender. The landlords were not compelled to accept possession of the property if the company served notice and they could treat the lease as continuing. And he helpfully made some comments that this would leave New Look liable for rates, um, which is something that uh, will at least please landlords <laughs> in this judgment. So moving on then, um, and obviously of most uh, of particular interest was the unfair prejudice challenge. Um, this was the second round of challenge and uh, it was raised on the grounds that firstly, the requisite majority to approve the CVA was secured with the votes of unaffected creditors. Secondly, that different treatment given to other creditors um, uh, uh, was unfairly prejudicial. And thirdly, various modifications to the leases were inherently unfair. Um, it's worth noting here that as a preliminary point, the judge found it was common ground that the landlords would receive more in the CVA than they would have done in the vertical comparator test. So in this case, administration. So the vertical comparator test was satisfied. So taking the three points on unfair prejudice in turn, on the first point, the judge held that it is not necessarily unfairly prejudicial if the statutory majority is achieved by the votes of unaffected creditors. But he made the point that this is a highly relevant factor based on all the circumstances in determining whether there has been unfair prejudice. The second point related to the differential treatment between the company and its groups of creditors and the court made clear that differential treatment of different groups of creditors is a cause for inquiry, which needs to be justified, but it is not inherently unfairly prejudicial. Mm. So relevant matters could include the fair allocation of assets, the source of those assets, and whether they were available to all creditors in the relevant alternative, the nature and extent of the different treatment, the reasons justifying that treatment and the impact on the outcome of the creditors meeting and the extent to which other creditors in the same group approved the CVA. And there might be other relevant matters in, in, in other cases. Now, as far as the different treatment of the secured note holders was concerned, whilst not impaired directly by the CVA, uh, the judge found that the CVA was integral to the company's wider restructuring, which included the scheme of arrangement under which these creditors were impaired. They'd exchanged secured debt 
for a minority equity interest in new look. Also, a CVA can't affect the rights of a secured creditor without their agreement. Therefore, the judge found it was obvious that the impairment was a result of their agreement, which was part and parcel of the CVA process and could be properly regarded as a consequence of the CVA. Further, without the CVA, all of New Look's assets would have been covered by the security, so there would be nothing for the unsecured creditors except the prescribed part in an administration. So the judge held that the different treatment was explained and justified by the fact that the secured creditors were secured and that as far as the unsecured debt uh, was concerned uh, in respect of the secured note holders, they received nothing for that release. And their treatment in that respect was therefore materially worse than the landlord unsecured creditors. And even if account was taken of the benefits to the secured lenders under the scheme of arrangement that they were entering as part of the wider restructuring, they weren't, there weren't materially better terms than those imposed on the landlords. Because a secured lender went from having a priority interest in an insolvency to a much lower ranked interest where the future of the business was highly uncertain. It was also relevant that the secured lenders were not receiving any benefit from any assets of New Look, which would have been available for unsecured creditors. It was because the secured lenders agreed not to enforce their security that any assets were available to the unsecured creditors other than the prescribed part. And finally, a majority of the compromised landlords had voted in favour of the CVA. As far as the different treatment of category A landlords and ordinary unsecured creditors, that is trade creditors and employees were concerned, it was accepted by the landlords this was justified for reasons of business continuity. And whilst the, their vote was substantial, the CVA would have been approved even if their vote was discounted. So the CVA wasn't imposed on a minority by a self-interested majority. Third, um, on, the grounds, on the grounds of unfair prejudice, the landlords argued that the various modifications to the lease were unfair, including the change to turnover rent. And again, the court rejected um, these arguments. The judge said that the CVA offered landlords a choice between terminating their leases and accepting a financial return better than which the vertical comparator test, i.e. the administration and administration, or continuing their leases, but on reduced rent and modified terms. So landlords aren't forced to accept the modified terms. If they think the terms are unfair, they can exercise their right to terminate under the CVA. There is no objective criteria to assess whether the modifications are unfair. This depends on the company and each landlord and all the commercial circumstances between them. And the judge considered that from a practical perspective, the company would need to ensure that rent reduction and any modifications made to the leases were as fair as possible to the landlords. Otherwise, landlords would exercise the termination rights and the company would have no premises to trade from. But the judge said that this is purely a commercial question and not one which is to be considered by the court as part of an unfair prejudice challenge.
Um, the court also found that New Look was unable to pay the contractual rent because it's insolvent, not because of the CVA. The landlords weren't forced to accept the modifications. They could choose to terminate the leases, as I've said. It wasn't accepted that Debenhams laid down a principle that modifications to a lease could not reduce rent below market rates, although it wasn't shown that the turnover rents proposed would have been less than the market rent. But the court found that the, um, there's no uh, rigid test laid down by Mr Justice Norris in the Debenhams decision. The third grounds for challenge was based on material irregularities. And firstly, the calculation of landlords' claims for voting purposes and the 25% discount applied, which uh, was argued was not justified. And secondly, omissions in the disclosure or lack of it of relevant information. As, as regards calculation of votes and the discount applied, the court said that the starting point under the insolvency rules is that a claim for an unliquidated or unascertained amount is to be valued at one pound unless the chair decides to put an estimated minimum value on it for voting purposes. Here, the 25% discount was held to constitute a proxy for identifying the lower end, the minimum, i.e. of a com complex range of values developed with the assistance of expert evidence. And the court found that whilst a different percentage could have been used, the use of 25% was not considered a material irregularity. On the question of omissions in the provision of information, the judge found that it was not material for creditors to know whether certain senior secured creditors in respect of which New Look was a guarantor so that was the secured note holders, and who held substantial secured and unsecured interest, had entered into a lockup agreement prior to the vote in the CVA. It was agreed that the equity interest that those note holders would receive was relevant information that should have been disclosed. However, on that point, the court found that it was unlikely that creditors would have voted differently if they'd been informed of the range of equity values. So it wasn't a material irregularity. And similarly, the failure to disclose the exit process for equity holders and the management incentive plan were not deemed to be a material irregularity. Unless parties challenging a CVA can show that not only is there an irregularity, but it's material, it would have affected the outcome of the vote, then that's always going to be difficult, um, a, a difficult ground of challenge. Uh -huh. So the headline picture is a defeat for the landlords uh, in this case, based on the, on the, the factual matrix and the, the wider context of that, that, the, that wider restructuring that you mentioned. But there is maybe a little bit um, more to the story than that, uh, sort of buried in the judgment. And in, in paragraph 197 of uh, his 61-page judgment, the judge had some fairly strong words about the fairness of these types of landlord-only CVAs in principle, didn't he? That, that's right. Um, and whilst the judge found that differential treatment of different groups of creditors is not inherently unfairly prejudicial, he did say there would be 
strong grounds, using the judge's words, to conclude mm. the CVA was unfairly prejudicial, where a CVA, which compromises claims of a subgroup of creditors, is only achieved by the votes of a large swathe of unaffected creditors, even if there was objective justification for that different treatment. Mm. So it will always depend on the facts as to whether or not um, grounds of, of unfair prejudice can can be made out depending on the circumstances in relation to the treatment of the different creditors. Um, the judge did contrast this scenario with a CVA where creditors are impaired in different ways or a small number is justifiably unimpaired, which is sufficient to carry the vote, where in that case it was unlikely to be unfairly prejudicial. But as you say, it always depends on the factual matrix. Mm. <laughs> Do you think, though, that these comments offer landlords a little bit of a ray of hope that they can build on them in future cases? And what kind of arguments would they need to advance to distinguish those cases from the facts in New Look? Well, whilst this judgment has determined a number of general points which arise in CVAs, any challenge based on unfair prejudice or material irregularity will always be dependent on the facts. In New Look, the court found that the differential treatment of creditors who carried the vote was justified because in essence, the secured creditors were impaired, were not taking assets that would have been available to the landlord creditors in an insolvency. In a different case where a CVA is approved by the votes of creditors, unfettered or treated differently without proper justification at the expense of the landlord creditors who are being compromised, then a challenge on unfair prejudice may well succeed. As the cases of Powerhouse and Miss 60 show, but as I said before, it really is fact specific. Mm. I would also add that depending on value of the specific lease, it's important for landlords to scrutinise the terms of the CVA immediately it's launched to consider what information it needs to fully assess the CVA and what evidence it might want to submit to the chairperson of the creditors meeting if that will have a material impact on its voting rights. Recent cases show the difficulty in proving that even if there is an irregularity, it is material, i.e. that it would have affected the outcome of the vote, as I mentioned earlier. So making relevant requests, raising issues pre-meeting and seeking any modifications to the CVA before it's approved may achieve a better outcome and should arm landlord creditors before any challenge is pursued. Likewise, um, it should be noted that corporate tenants and their uh, advisors are equally alive to the issues if a CVA is pursued on inappropriate terms and will be particularly live to the, to the judge's comments here. Um, and hopefully that will also mean that they uh, uh, approach CVAs in an appropriate way. Although mm. having said that, I fully accept um, that the uh, majority body of landlords would uh, would not not agree that that's been done to date <laughs> um just just quickly one thing that occurred to me whilst you were talking through the decision uh, in, in new look do you think there's also room for landlords to argue that perhaps undue weight um has been given to that that uh, that increased rights of termination uh, that that are given to landlords as part of a cva like this in the context of a, a retail landscape in which uh, tenants for this type of 
uh, retail um, premises m- must be quite hard to find. Yes, and I suppose that then comes down to um, the option that landlords are given, mm. the uh, choice of continuing with the lease on the modified terms, which the court would say if the landlord chooses to go down that route is because that is the best it can achieve versus the landlord saying, actually, these terms aren't fair or I can do better in the market. Therefore, I'm going to exercise my right of termination. Now, I'm sure landlords will not agree that that right of termination in itself makes this, makes it fair. But mm. certainly on the basis of the judgment, um, that was that is the, the judge's finding. And in particular, because um, as far as the modification of terms was concerned, um, the judge found that it's really a matter of um, for the landlords and the companies um, to determine what are or to determine what are fair market terms because every, each property is in a different location. It will depend on the commercial context of um, that property as to whether or not the modifications are, I suppose, considered by the landlord to be fair and on market terms or not. Now, there's a separate question about rewriting the terms of leases, but then that will come back to the um, legislation giving companies uh, in this situation the ability to use the CVA to compromise debt and um, enter into arrangements which effectively do compromise the terms of the leases. So one last thing on on New Look. I mean, this is obviously a very important case. It's been sort of uh, highly anticipated. It's been much discussed. It raises um, significant issues of interest to the whole sector. I mean, do you foresee much prospect of an appeal in this case? Well, I think I agree with all all of your comments. It's a really (laughs) important decision um, and it will have a bearing on the terms of future CVAs. So for that reason, um, the landlord group may well seek to appeal certain points, certainly not all, but certain points if they have the appetite. Um, but what I would go on to say is that the judgment doesn't give, in my view, corporate tenants carte blanche to impose any terms it wants. Um, as I mentioned, and as the judge commented, modifications um, to leases should be as fair to landlords as possible. Otherwise, landlords could vote with their feet by rejecting modified leases and exercising the right to terminate the CVA gives them. Um, the other thing I, th- I think to note is how how much CVAs will be used in the future, at least the immediate future, in the context of um, the pandemic and mm. the situation that in uh, in many cases because of the value of landlords' voting rights being increased with uh, the um, with mm-hmm. their rent arrears, then they can potentially vote down a CVA. Mm. And in that context, um, companies are going to look to use restructuring plans more. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we will uh, we will come on to restructuring uh, plans uh, next time. So, uh, as a quick tease for parts two and three, you, you obviously haven't had long to digest the judgment in Virgin Active. And, and of course, we are still awaiting that decision in, in Regis hairdressing. But the, there are overlapping issues in each case, but but each of these cases have their differences and that there should be plenty for us to discuss 
uh, even before we try and bring all the threads together. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, certainly in context of Regis, it's interesting. Um, obviously, Mr. Justice Saccaroli heard both New Look and Regis mm. and initially indicated he would deliver a single judgment, though he's obviously now opted to deliver um, the New Look judgment first. Um, the background to Regis is different. It involved a series of linked transactions by the company prior to the CVA. And so it is different to the facts of the restructuring and New Look. And it's going to be interesting to see what side the judge comes down in the Regis uh, challenge, although clearly certain points um, apply to both and, and those have been decided uh, to, to the extent that they're the same uh, in the Regis case. Mm. But yes, it will be very interesting to see that. And of course, then Virgin is dealing with um, part 26A, so a mm. different um, you know, rescuing re uh, rescue tool and uh, yeah, a different, different um, certain different provisions which apply in relation to, to um, the approach in a part 26a restructuring okay so we'll look forward to that next time thanks very much um julie for offering such an expert explanation of the new look decision and uh join us again as we turn our attention to virgin active next week thanks jess i look forward to it you have been listening to on the case from eg